0: The following talk is from St. Michael's Fullwell, a gospel-centered community for Folwell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfolwell.co.uk. Brilliant. Let's turn now to God's Word. Uh, Becky's going to read for us, and then Johnny will come up.
1: So the reading is from Luke chapter 16, uh, starting at verse 19, which is on page 1050 of the Church Bibles. So that's Luke 16, starting at verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger into some water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus had bad things, and now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, then they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead.
0: It's great to see everyone. My name is Johnny, and I'm normally doing youth and children stuff, but it's nice um, this evening to be looking at the Bible with you guys together. Um, and as these handouts are coming around, don't get too distracted by it. It won't make too much sense yet. Um, but I want you to imagine a few different scenarios. Either, depending on who you are, these will be either sort of things you might have experienced in the past or the future or they might be things that are happening right now. So I want you to imagine, back in the days of homework, you're sitting, you're watching TV, and a parent comes along and says, come on, you need to go and do your homework. And you're thinking, I don't want to do that. I don't need to do it right now. I can do it later. I don't think I need to do this homework. I think I'll get by without doing it. Or actually... The TV that I'm watching at the moment, that's way more entertaining, a way better use of my time. So you don't do it. Maybe someone says to you, let's go to the pub, if you're over 18, and watch the Women's World Cup semi-final together. And you think, oh, do you know what? Going to the pubs these days, is so expensive. I don't really like watching women's football anyway. And actually... It's England. We always lose. So you say no. Maybe you've got a job, and then a new opportunity comes up. You think, should I go for it? Some people encourage you to. But you think, it's going to take so much time to prep for that interview. And then it's hard. If I get the job, I'll have to get to know new people, a new environment. That's not much fun. And besides, I probably won't get it anyway. So you say, I'm not going to have a go at going for it. I'm sure all of us can look back over our lives and see lots of opportunities that we've passed up for various reasons. Maybe they're conscious reasons. You like watching TV, so you'd rather do that than invest in your work and your education. Maybe they're unconscious reasons. So when you say no to watching the semi-final of the Women's World Cup, that's because actually you've never given women's football a chance. Maybe there's even a bit of sexism there. And that's the reason you're saying no. Or maybe those reasons that you give are hiding the real reasons. So when you say, I'm not going to go for that job, I probably won't get it. The real reason is that you're terrified of failure. So you don't want to give it a go. What's the end result? Whatever the reasons are, whatever the excuses are, you miss out on something. Something little like doing your homework, doing well at school, a fun social thing, or a really wonderful job opportunity. And at the heart of Christianity, the message of Jesus, the gospel, is an incredible opportunity. The chance through Jesus to be forgiven, to spend eternity with him. And some of you, lots of you here today will have said yes to that, Some of you will be thinking, no, or at least not yet. And if that is you, then there'll be a reason for that. And today we're going to be thinking from that parable that we had read about some of those reasons that we might say no to that opportunity. And it's a wonderful parable because it speaks so powerfully into those reasons, those things that we might think. And there's loads of challenges and encouragement for us all from them. So before we dig into this parable, um, it's a funny sort of parable. It's a bit different from other parables that Jesus tells. For example, often parables begin with, Jesus told a parable, and this one doesn't. Often parables are about something completely different, like sheep or coins or stuff to do with farming. But this is actually quite close to actually what the parable is teaching us about. Parables don't often have named characters, yet we meet a guy called Lazarus. So there's something slightly different, but it is a parable, Um, it's gonna be teaching us things. It's worth saying what it won't teach us. This isn't a parable that directly says, this is what determines who goes to heaven and who doesn't, okay? We'll think about exactly why in a second. It isn't a parable that says, this is exactly what things look like after we die. It's still a parable. It is teaching us important things. And despite not teaching us those things explicitly, it does have important truths. And these truths are going to answer three objections or reasons that we might say no to the wonderful opportunity that Jesus offers us. And it's worth saying from the start that there are some tough things that this parable teaches us. And try as I, much as I have to try and avoid talking about these things, it's impossible. They're in this parable. They're front and center. So we're going to look at some of them tonight and see what this parable says. And it's worth saying, you might find those things hard. You might find those things upsetting. You might find those things, things that you disagree with. And that is absolutely fine. We want everyone to be welcome here, no matter what they think of what the Bible says, or what is taught from the front. But if you do hear something or read someone something and think, that's hard, or I'm not sure about that, my only request is do write it down, do stay, keep on listening, and if there are questions or things that you found hard, feel free to grab me or James, or talk to someone about it. And we'd love to talk about what is in this passage because it's challenging and we want to hear what God's got to say to us but we want to do that in a way where we can all be welcome and have our questions and concerns answered. So before we dive in I'm going to pray and ask God to help us. Heavenly Father thank you so much for the Bible, thank you so much for Jesus and the way that he tells these wonderful stories that are so powerful at teaching us and I pray that as we come to this parable that contains some hard-hitting truths, that we would be able to listen with open hearts and be open to what you have got to say to us tonight. Amen. Fantastic. So those three little bits on the handout, those are three reasons that we might give as to why we might say no or not yet to God's amazing offer of eternal life with him, the offer of the gospel that Jesus presents to us. And the first thing we might be thinking, consciously, subconsciously, underneath all our reasons, is following Jesus is not worth it, okay? It's not that we've done a cost-benefit analysis, and we thought, here's the pros, here the cons, but we are aware of the sacrifices that come with following Jesus, sacrifices of time, coming to church, maybe helping with youth and kids groups, coming along midweek, Sacrifices of money, whether that's giving money to church, people seem to do that, or indirectly using our money for things that might not be what we want to use our money for. Or even sacrifices of relationships, hanging out with people or talking to people who are hard. And we can think, if that's what following Jesus involves, it's going to have to be really good for that to be worth it. And frankly, it doesn't feel worth it. And this parable is going to start by addressing that reason. Um, I don't know if you guys like rags-to-riches story. so we're thinking Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, taking someone who's got nothing, and by the end of the story, sorry if you haven't read it or watched it, they're in a position where they're basically running a chocolate factory. But even better than a rags-to-riches story is a rags-to-riches role-reversal story. So as well as the person that goes from rags- to riches, you've got a sort of bad guy who goes from riches to rags. So there's a fun film called Dodgeball, which has a guy, a poor guy who owns a gym uh, that's folding, and a bad guy who's really rich with a gym. And by the end of it, the poor guy's really rich, the bad guy's lost everything. And it's a lovely film. We have here a little different a rags to riches role reversal story let's meet the characters so verse 19 the rich man there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day so this rich man has nothing to worry about he's living the dream purple that's the color of royalty that is how wealthy he is every single day is a day of luxury not just getting by absolute luxury Here's the other character, verse 20 to 21. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So, on the other hand, you've got this chap, Lazarus, completely other end of the spectrum. He's a beggar, he's got nothing, he's hungry. Even the crumbs from that rich man's table, he's desperate for, but he can't get them. Not only is he poor and hungry, he's obviously in a terrible physical condition. Those sores sound awful. And the only comfort he gets is from some dogs coming and licking him, which is more than he seems to get from the rich man. There are characters. And then we get the reversal the rags to riches, but that role reversal as well. And it comes after they die. So look at verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So what's happened? The rich man has died, and we're told that he is in Hades, in torment. While Lazarus, who had nothing on earth, he is now with Abraham. What's implied is he's in heaven. There's a summary of what their lives are like now in verse 25. Right at the end of verse 25, we see that he, Lazarus, who was poor, who had nothing, is comforted, comforted with God. And you, the rich man, are in agony. What this is pointing towards is what the gospel teaches. That what this rich man is experiencing is what we all deserve for rejecting God. And that is his punishment, what is described here as torment and agony. And that is hard to read, hard to hear. But the Bible teaches that that is what we are all deserving What Lazarus is experiencing is that amazing offer that Jesus gives because he died and came back to life for us. We all have the opportunity to experience that comfort of God and avoid that agony and torment. It's very important to say what this parable isn't saying is that everyone who has tough times on earth and is poor goes to heaven. Everyone who's rich doesn't and faces God's punishment. But in this story, that is what is happening. The torment is what we deserve, but Lazarus, by God's grace, is experiencing his comfort. Let's read verse 23, the conversation that the rich man has with Abraham. In Hades, where he but now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. This is the reversal that we've been thinking about. I want you to notice two things from that little conversation. The first thing is the rich man. Notice something the rich man doesn't say. At no point does the rich man say or imply, do you know what? For all the good things that I had back on earth when I was living there, This is worth it. It's the complete opposite. He's in agony. And all the wonderful things he enjoyed back on earth don't mean anything. Now he's experiencing that. And that is an answer. It's a warning. It's a challenging. If we're thinking, is being a Christian worth it? Is accepting that offer with all the sacrifices involved, is it really worth it? Well, look at the rich man. He had everything. The last thing he's thinking is, well, this is worth it for what I enjoyed on earth. No sacrifice is so great. No thing is so wonderful that it wouldn't be worth sacrificing in order that we can accept that offer from Jesus. But then look at Lazarus. We don't know this, but we can be certain That one thing Lazarus is not saying or thinking is something like, this is good, but I'm still a bit annoyed about the time I had on earth. Living in comfort with God is so wonderful that there's nothing on earth so bad that can make it not worth it. Maybe you're someone who is following Jesus, tempted to think, is this really worth it? the sacrifices involved with following Jesus. Look at Lazarus. Experiencing comfort with God, he knew there was nothing so bad. It was not worth following Jesus. I can remember a couple of years ago, a Sunday morning, I wasn't at church, and I had some friends around. It was a beautiful sunny morning, and I played a round of golf, and I had a wonderful time. And I started thinking about what life would be like if that was every Sunday morning. If actually I packed in all the Christianity stuff. I could play golf every Sunday morning. I could spend way more time with my friends. I'd probably need to get a new job, but that might be okay. It might pay more money, and I wouldn't have to give money to church. I could do what I wanted with my time. And I could start to think of all those things that I could do what I want to do. Now, you might rightly come back to me and say, would that really satisfy? Would that really be making you happy, what you want to do? And you're right. But ultimately, the answer to me thinking that, that I need to tell myself, is that one day I will die. And none of those things, no matter how good, will be worth saying no to that invitation from God. So that first objection to accepting that offer, is it really worth it, the sacrifices involved? Yes, it is so worth it. Let's move on to the second thing. We might be thinking, if we're saying no to this offer that Jesus' wonderful parable helps us think about, we might be thinking, yeah, this is interesting. I find this idea of Jesus, the gospel, his message, quite compelling. But not right now. I'll do something about it later. This is often the way I relate to lots of things in life, as Lucy will share with you. So one big thing we're doing in a few weeks is moving flat, and there's a deadline there, and there's lots of things that need to be done. But the main way I operate when it comes to all of those jobs is to think, is there any chance I can do that tomorrow or the next day or the next week? I'm always putting things off. I'd rather not deal with it and put it off. What about us if we're thinking, there's something interesting, something important here, but I'll deal with it later. Well, let's go back to that conversation in this parable that that rich man was having with Abraham. He's just explained that there's a huge role reversal, that um, the rich man had his chance, he had all those wonderful things, but he didn't choose Jesus. Jesus. then he makes another huge important point. Verse 26, he says, And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. There's a chasm. There's a barrier. No one can go from the place that the rich man is to the place that Lazarus is with God. And no one can go from where Lazarus is with God to where the rich man is in torment and agony. What that basically means is we might put off that decision, but there's a warning here in this parable. At some point, it will be too late, and we can't put it off anymore. On the 31st of August, we will need to leave our flats. And then it will be too late to move our stuff or for me to sort out my books or any of the other jobs that need doing. That is a deadline. We don't know when our deadline is. But there is one. Because at the point when we die, we are told here that there is a chasm So if we are putting off that decision, we need to be aware that we cannot put it off forever. And this parable is saying, please do not put off that decision to the point when it becomes too late. This is really challenging, and it's really hard to read. And some people might teach things about the Bible that deny that that chasm exists. So some people teach about a place called purgatory that we go to when we die, where actually it's okay, and there's not a chasm there, and we can sort stuff out to make sure we are with God in comfort. And there was a chap a few years ago who wrote a book arguing actually that people might go to be with God when they died, other people wouldn't, but eventually everyone would go to be with God. And it would be so easy to stand up here and say, they're wrong, and it's so bad that they're saying those things. But the reality is I completely get why they don't want this point to be true. Because it's really hard to hear. And you guys might hear about that and find that really hard to hear. And if you do hear that, and it comes as quite a shock, I think there's two things that we want to hear. It is hard that there's a limited time. But that should act as a powerful motivator for us to want to share that truth with others so they can respond and hear about this wonderful invitation before it is too late for them. So let's not be powerless in the face of this hard message. We resolve to respond to it so we can share it with others. But also it might call into questions about how we feel about God and what he's like. Is he fair? Is this kind? And of course there'll be people they come to our minds, people that we know who haven't accepted this message yet. What is wonderful about God is that he doesn't say these things, he doesn't teach hard things, and not want us to run to him with our questions, with our concerns, with things that we find hard. So if this is something you find hard, do talk about it with me or others afterwards, but do pray and tell God how you're feeling, because he does care about that. And in this third reason, there is also wonderful comfort. So let's go straight on to that. Third things so we've seen some people might say, well, I'm not sure it's worth it. It is worth it. Some people say, I need a bit more time. I'm not now. To which this parable says, one day it'll be too late. Don't keep putting it off. Thirdly, people might think, I need some more powerful evidence. I'm interested in what the Bible teaches about Jesus... I'm I'm intrigued to know more, but I can't just believe it just because of what's written here. I need to see a miracle. I need something powerful to know that God exists and this whole stuff about Jesus is true. A powerful miracle. Well, that's what's going on here. Have a look down at verse 27. We've got the last bit of the conversation. Remember, it's the rich man talking to Abraham. So this is the rich man. He answered, Then I beg you, Father... They will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. I find myself drawn to the rich man at this point. I've got so much sympathy for what he's saying. He's heard what Abraham's saying. It's too late for him. But his heart goes out to his family, who he must know at that point, aren't accepting that invitation. So he says, I want something to be done about them. And he knows what it is. He says, if Lazarus, this person they've seen die, goes back They'll see, wow, that's a miracle. A dead man's come back to life. I know that God is real, and I'm going to change the way I live and follow Jesus. That makes sense. But Abraham's reply twice is saying, they've got Moses and the prophets. In other words, they've got the Bible. And he goes on to say, verse 31 if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. So saying, here's the Bible. If they don't listen to the Bible, then it doesn't matter how big a miracle they have. Even if someone comes back to life, then they won't believe. When I first hear that, I think, really? Surely people that might not be convinced by the Bible will be convinced by a miracle. And then when I think about it, I think, that does make sense. Because if people don't want to believe the truth about Jesus... If a miracle happened, what would happen? Well, they'd explain it away. And actually, in the Bible, that happens. Ironically, in another gospel, in John's gospel, there's a real guy called Lazarus who is actually brought back to life, and lots of the Jewish leaders see it, and they believe, no, they try to kill Jesus. Or, in probably the, well, definitely the most famous, coming back to life of all, Jesus comes back to life. And lots of people see it, and... They try and suppress the truth, or they try and stop people talking about it and kill everyone that does talk about it. It's true. People have the Bible. They won't believe, even if they see a huge miracle. This actually is a real comfort to us. Because the point is, people that don't accept this invitation, the reason that they don't, isn't because they haven't got enough evidence. It's something going on in their heart. And for hearts to change, it doesn't need evidence. It needs God to work in their hearts. And the reason he points to the Bible is because the Bible is God's word. And God works powerfully through his word. So, if you have not yet accepted this amazing opportunity, and you would like more evidence, here's my question to you. What evidence would you need in order to accept that all of this is true? And it's very easy with that question to think, actually, there isn't a standard of evidence which would compel you. And you realize that what Jesus is saying through this parable is true. So if you're really interested and you want to know it's true, the challenge of this parable that Jesus gives us isn't to look for miracles but to read the Bible, read the gospel, find out about Jesus, and ask God to open up your heart so you might see something of Jesus. And if we are trusting in Jesus, and maybe this parable is just making us feel overwhelmed with all this talk of time, of agony, of comfort, of chasms, and all that we need to do to tell people about this amazing opportunity, what a relief that it's not down to us persuading people giving them evidence, trying to show them miracles to convince people. It's all about what God does. That means that we can pray to him, commit our friends to him, and then trust him with that. So as we finish, this parable is so helpful at addressing three things that might stop us accepting this amazing opportunity that Jesus offers might think, it's just not worth it. And the fate of the rich man and Lazarus show us that it doesn't matter how much we sacrifice, it will always be worth it to follow Jesus. Maybe we're thinking, not now. I'll think about it another time. i reminded that one day it will be too late. So don't put that off until it is too late. And let's make the most of the opportunities that we have to share Jesus with others before it is too late. And finally, we might be thinking... Or give me some really great evidence to which Jesus says, here's the Bible. This is all you need. So let's trust the Bible and trust that it's God that does that work to show Jesus through the Bible. In a second we'll do that. I'm going to pray. I'll leave some space. That might be a time when we want to pray for someone, that they might see who Jesus is. Or it might be a time when we take time to talk to God and think through maybe our objections, the reasons we're giving for saying no at the moment to this opportunity. Before we do that, it might be there's things that we've talked about that are hard, that we find quite painful, we disagree with. And if there are those things, let me encourage you, after this service is finished, feel free to talk to me, talk to James, uh, someone else that you know at church, someone you've come with. Maybe you need to pray with that person. But do ask those questions, because this is tough. Um, but Jesus tells us it because he loves us and he wants us to know the truth so let me pray Heavenly Father thank you so much that you love us and you tell us what we need to know um, even when that can be hard and I thank you that following you is always worth it and we know that on that day when we come face to face with you we will not regret following you the tiniest bit I pray that we will heed that warning that one day it will be too late and we'll make the most of the time we have now to accept that opportunity and to tell others about it. And thank you that it isn't our job to persuade people and convince them to follow you, but that's the work that you do in people's hearts through your word. And as we finish, I pray that we can now commit those people to us. So just a moment now to pray in our hearts, reflecting on what we thought about tonight. Father, thank you so much that through Jesus we can, even though we don't deserve it, know that comfort of knowing you and living with you forever. Amen.